You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. Welcome to another episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. I am being uh, joined by Rear Admiral Cynthia A. Keener. Uh, Admiral Keener is a native of Fort Rucker, Alabama. She earned a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Her graduate degree includes a Master of Science in Nursing from the Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences and a Doctor of Nursing Practice from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. She was commissioned an ensign in 1991 through the bachelor's degree completion program. Operationally, Admiral Keener served as the senior nurse of Bravo Surgical Company with the first force service support group in Fallujah, Iraq, providing direct casualty care during the height of combat operations in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Vigilant Resolve. She also served as a senior medical officer and ultimately as the executive officer of the Provincial Reconstruction Team Coast Afghanistan. Admiral Keener has held various nursing and executive leadership positions across the globe. And in June 2020, Admiral Keener was appointed as a 26th Director of Navy Nurse Corps and currently serves as Commander Naval Medical Forces Support Command at Joint Base San Antonio Fort Sam Houston, Texas. In addition to numerous unit and campaign awards, her personal awards include the Legion of Merit, Meritorious Service Medal, Navy and Marine Corps Accommodation Medal, Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal, the Fleet Marine Force Ribbon, the Combat Action Ribbon, and the U.S. Army's Combat Action Badge. She was awarded the Japanese Defense Cooperation Award from the Japan Maritime Self-Defense Force. Admiral Keener maintains board certifications as a family nurse practitioner and as an advanced nurse executive with the American Nurses Credentialing Center and is a fellow of both the American Association of Nurse Practitioners and the American Academy of Nursing. Welcome to the show, Admiral Keener. Thank you so much, Dr. Tayeb. It's oh, really please call me Ollie. Please call me Ollie. Ollie. Yes, and please call me Cindy. <laughs> well, that's going to be weird for me. I, I, I mentioned I was enlisted before, so to call an admiral by her first name would be really weird for me. Okay. Uh, so, but thank you. I, I appreciate it. I need that. you to be comfortable. Otherwise, I won't get nervous. So, um, thank you. Whatever makes you comfortable. And thank you, Ollie, for having me. I appreciate that. Um, so, well, uh, we had a brief couple of minutes to chat before we started. So I have all these things I want to ask you now, uh, but uh, we'll start with how did you get started in the world of nursing? What made you feel compelled to get into the profession? Yeah, I'm going to give you probably a long, a long answer to a short question. Um, I did not know that nursing was going to find me. I, um, I was living in, uh, 
Guam at the time that I met and fell in love with my husband. We've been married now for 38 years and we moved from Guam to Hawaii. And when shortly after um, moving to Hawaii, we ended up having a baby and he was active duty in the Navy at the time. And so I wanted to do something that was portable. And I, I'm a very pragmatic uh, person in the world. And I know, I, know, I know the military life. I grew up as an army um, brat, an army dependent. And so I knew that my life would include moving with regularity. And we knew that we had a limited time living in Hawaii. And I needed to, to I always intended to go to school and, and earn my bachelor of science degree in something. And nursing, nursing came into view. Um, there was a program, the baccalaureate degree completion program that was offering scholarship for the last two years of nursing school. And so I took that opportunity because I enjoy the military lifestyle, the adventure of all of that. Um, I'm one of five kids in my original family, the middle child, and I always thought that maybe I would join the service. So that part was not foreign to me. The nursing part was where I happened to land. And so it started as just a practical decision because I knew that at the time, University of Hawaii at Manoa had an associate's degree program. And at the end of those first two years, you could get your RN license. So I knew that at the time we were supposed to transfer from Hawaii, I would, I would leave successful with an RN license in hand. And then we were able to extend, and I was able to actually just complete my bachelor's degree in the same school um, following that, but I had my RN license. And then uh, the rest really unfolded from there. And the career, the profession, uh, everything that has been since literally 1989 when I, when I got that uh, RN license has just, um, I would say, found me in so many ways. It has wrapped itself around me and I have thoroughly embraced the, uh, my love for this profession. That's incredible. Uh, I, I want to say, uh, uh, having talked to so many individuals, uh, for the, for the purpose of the podcast, uh, it's weird how nursing sneaks up on people, uh, <laughs> for various reasons, right? Like yes. there's a few people I've talked to that are like, I knew I was going to be a nurse when I was six years old. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. But so many people are like, I was thinking of other stuff or I was looking for something to do or something that was going to provide my family, yes. uh, you know, um, but so, so many reasons, but nursing has a way of sneaking up on people. It did. Um, so that's, that's awesome. Um, but in 1991, if I'm getting this correct, uh, you, uh, you got commissioned, uh, as an ensign in the Navy. How did, how did you decide? I know you, you're army brat, but how did you decide you were going to Join veer towards, towards the military yeah. career uh, as an, as a naval officer? So it made sense at the time. Um, I, again, I had always considered military service. I could see the rewards of military service early on. And I, I think I'm just one of these people that sees the long, the long view. And I, my dad, you know, was retiring from the army. He was Vietnam era veteran and he was at the end of his career. And he had always encouraged his kids to consider military service, um, for, for the many benefits it offered. And, you know, he was also a very practical person who was 
talking to us about the retirement benefit, the healthcare benefits, the educational benefits. So he could see those very um, compelling reasons and incentives to consider military service. And I really just enjoyed the adventure. So he was telling me all those good things and they're all true, still are true. And I took advantage of most of them, but my, my, um, my goal was to continue traveling and seeing the world and adventuring through the rest of my life. But I was married at the time and it made more sense to do, to do dual Navy careers. My husband was active duty. And so to do dual Navy careers, it's very hard for people who go dual service to be in different services. Um, because the duty stations may be in completely different places. The Navy tends to be along the coastline. The Army sometimes is inland. You know, our overseas duty locations are sometimes very, very different. And so our best opportunity to be co-located or stationed together in our future was going to be to be in the same service. So that's how I decided to go Navy. Uh, it just made good practical sense. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now for for those individuals who are uh, who are listening in and thinking about um a career in the in the armed forces. Yeah. Um and, and I'll let you I I'll let you at the end of the show do a plug for the navy. Um <laughs> I I'm not biased or anything but <laughs> uh, but, Me neither. Yes, I uh, am. <laughs> uh, very true. But looking at it but they have for example a family uh, and mm -hmm. they don't know how that way may work. Can you give us a glimpse of what uh, life in the military is with sure. uh, with a family? Sure. It's a lot of give, take, negotiation, um, compromise, service, sacrifice. A lot of times people will tell military people, you know, thank you for your service. And that is such an amazing um, heartfelt sentiment. And that really was born, I think, out of um, the events that transpired after 9-11, um, a recognition that military service was valuable to all of us as citizens of our country. And so we hear that a lot. Um, when I hear it, the thing that it, a lot of military people are uncomfortable when people say that. They don't know how to um, they don't know how to respond because it feels like, well, I'm just doing my job. So they don't want to necessarily even acknowledge that gratitude that comes from um, a grateful nation. Um, I hear some responses. This is a topic, but people will talk about and thank you for your support. You know, so that's a common uh, response that sometimes military people will give. But as you as you um, talk about the the rewards and the and the sacrifices of military service it's really a matter of um understanding what that looks like so i grew up in the military i understood that framework my husband was also in the military so we both understood what that looked like it still does not come without its challenges we've raised three children into adulthood um, and so we had to do a lot of negotiation to try and get orders to the same place. Um, we had to sometimes struggle over who was going to take care of the 
the kid that woke up with a fever and throwing up, you know, and kind of decide whose job was more important today. I will say that the military continues to evolve in terms of um, then versus now. And I see those changes in terms of both being a female in the military, some of the accommodations that are made for women in the military. And so as a nurse, you know, I can be pretty, um, pretty upfront about those things that we understand clinically, but even just like breastfeeding support, you know, I raised three children. Um, I nursed all of them. That was an important thing for me, but trying to find a place to pump, you know, trying to um, store that, trying to not make that awkward during the workday. You know, a lot of that was just sort of the um, private business of then, you know, Ensign or Lieutenant J.G. Keener, you know, who had to make that work and figure that out, but really going it alone. And now there are policies in place that support all breastfeeding service women. And so, you know, those kinds of things have continued to evolve and the acknowledgement of how we support women in the military, how we support families in the military, those things continue to be a high priority interest of our Congress, of our elected representatives. And so I'm really grateful for how far we've come. These topics are continuously in the press. Um, military service is not political activity, but we are absolutely grateful for the sponsorship of the military by our elected officials and certainly by the community around uh, service service members in our in our country who are, who are then who then benefit and are the grateful recipients of some of those policy decisions that benefit us as we as we raise our children and um, thrive in a, in a military community around the world. So it's not been easy. People ask me about the work-life balance. It is a matter of continuous decision-making and negotiation. And for me, it's a matter of keeping my values front and center. So I prioritize, um, my family and, uh, the importance of my family. And I counsel others and say, you know, don't ever make your family the sacrifice of service, you know, um, because those things are going to be there at the end of service and you want those things to be intact as well. Um, people have to make those de decisions along the way and they're very personal, but they, they require the recruitment of um, a lot of just good, transparent, um, open decision-making and what you put first, second, third, you know, and sometimes how you shift those things, especially if you're negotiating as a dual service um, couple. So my husband retired in 2005, and he has kind of been following um, me ever since kind of in a career. Sometimes that's a little non-traditional. You know, a lot of times we have fewer, fewer women in military service. So there are a lot of women who experience being the spouse and they follow their spouse's career, their husband's career. Um, but in our case, um, we've made that work. My husband has, uh, has always been a sailing teacher. So in retirement, we've continued to live near the water for the most part. And he has continued to be able to um, thrive in his post-retirement pursuits and uh, live out his passion of teaching sailing um, and setting up 
setting up uh, sailing classes and MWR, morale, welfare, recreation activities in different places so that he can share his love of sailing with people who are living near to the water and give people an outlet other than just work, work, work. So it's worked out for us. We've been married 38 years now. Wow, amazing. Uh, thank you for sharing that um, because I think, I mean, for most um, individuals in the military, they're not necessarily dual service. So they do have a significant other yes. that tends to go from place to place. And I know the military is trying to do better at how those relocations happen uh, and opportunities available. Yes. Uh, but I think it still remains a challenge uh, just it because is. it's hard to pick up and relocate every couple of years and try yes. to find new work and new connections. and. There have been some amazing initiatives that have kind of come out of the White House, you know, over different administrations throughout my career to acknowledge military families. And again, policy is where those things, those those real authentic um, areas and initiatives for support emerge. Um, there are some some places where spouses now, I mean, even even changes with taxation have mm. occurred during my career. Um, so that the military spouse wasn't in any way compromised from a home of record or a tax place because orders made them go from place to place. So there's been relief in um, taxes. There's also been some relief in terms of educational benefits and opportunities or um, payment even for some licensure things. I'm not an expert on all of these things. So don't, don't quote me and say, she said I could get my whatever <laughs> paper, but, um, but there are so many things and we have so many different ways to support spouses, um, with all kinds of services. So mental health services, um, family support services, that community is very, very strong. What makes it great, and I'll just give a plug for where I'm living right now in San Antonio, you know, the community around the military matters. And there's so many ways where um, a community around military bases can support the, the military that are there. So through schools, through um, community support, San Antonio is, is also named Military City USA. And I will say that it, by far, it is one of the greatest places for military uh, to live. It's a huge, huge place for uh, retirees to settle. But the city around um, around the, the joint services here in San Antonio really embraces the military and features the military in a lot of the community events. Fiesta is coming up in the near future. And if you've never lived in San Antonio, you have not seen um, how warm the community can be in terms of um, community sponsorship and integration of the military. So it's a win, 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 win when that happens. But that's, it, that's excellent. It, yeah, it's pretty cool. The The services and resources are out there. Um, we want to make sure always that military are, know about them and are accessing them and using them because they are they are there. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, we've seen. Uh, um, more and more services over the years uh, to sure. support the families. Um, now, I now you mentioned something, and it's uh, for those who don't know, uh, military is not really a political um, arena. Um, so, how do you, as a leader uh, within the service, uh, advocate for uh, for your um, for the people that serve under you? 
Um, sure. Like, how do you, how do you do that? How do you push? How do where, where does military and the world of policy that actually usually comes with dollars attached to it? How do you marry the two and still stay uh, out of really the political arena? Right. If you can. It's, a, <laughs> it's such a good question because there is that temptation or that, you know, all of us are citizens of the country. And so each of us has retains our individual rights as a citizen. And so we are just cautious about those areas where we, you know, today I'm talking with you, but not represent. I mean, it's obvious that I'm in the Navy. Um, but we use the rules that are in place for us to make sure that we are not misrepresenting our roles in military service. And so there are policies specific to um, those of us in the military, in uniform service and federal service about what the limitations are on what we can do, what we can say in that public view, especially if we are um, wearing our uniform. So each of us retains you know, individual rights as a citizen, I can certainly get off this call and write a letter to my elected officials in my state. Um, so those those opportunities are available to each of us as a citizen. And then we don't blur the lines when we're in a uniform. And so we adhere to the policies that are available to us. In terms of my leadership responsibilities and roles, both um, in command and as a commissioned naval officer, it's pretty easy if I keep it super simple. And what I would tell you is that all of the services work under a reference point specific to our core values. So when I um, anchor on, I'll use some nautical terminology <laughs> there, but the Navy makes it pretty easy because our core values in the Navy are honor, courage, and commitment. And when we put on that uniform, and even when we're not wearing it, we are honor bound to represent service in um, a dignified, professional way because we're never not, you know, a commissioned naval officer. And it doesn't matter if I'm out running. It doesn't matter if I'm shopping. You know, there's there's always that sense of um, service, and you'll hear the phrases "service before." self and those kinds of things. So those of us who embrace um, service and nurses do. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of cross-pollination there between what is in my DNA as both a nurse and also as a servant leader. Um, we hold ourselves to those standards. And the military is continuously educating in formal ways, and then in the informal ways, the way that we teach, guide, mentor, build a bench, bring others up and through. We talk about the ways that we model um, honor, courage, and, and commitment. And those are the ways that we treat each other. Those are the ways that we regard the environment and the community around us. Those are the ways that we respect um, authority. Those are the ways that we um, treat every single person, you know, with dignity and respect. Those words are commonplace in our lexicon. Um, and in inherent in that is passing on that culture and making sure that even our most junior recruits and sailors are enculturated. I mean, think about the magic 
of bringing sailors, soldiers, airmen, Marines, guardians, um, bringing all of those diverse people from incredibly diverse backgrounds together in, in places and saying, here are your common cultural underpinnings. Here are the tenets of service. These are the core values of that uniform you're wearing. And now you've come from, you know, high school somewhere and great to have you here. The recruiter signed you up, you signed your name, and we are going to start orienting you and molding you into a sailor, into a soldier, into an airman. And so from our roots, both in the enlisted corps, in the enlisted um, ranks and also in our officer corps, we, we get formal and informal integration into the service culture. And those things are reinforced formally and informally for as long as you um, are, are wearing that uniform. You know, I, I never stop learning as um, a leader in the organization, it would be irresponsible if I stopped learning and recruiting methods, tools, uh, all of the different ways that I can become a better leader. And we're evolving. Oh my gosh, you know, we're having conversations now that we didn't have, you know, when I was a brand new ensign. In my short lifetime, you know, we're integrating women into sea service and onto ships and those kinds of things. So in very short order time, the military is embracing and looking at and going through um, some of those things that we see in a very um, transparent way as sources for political divide. That's not our business. We don't need to be in that political sphere looking at, at any of the ways that could divide us because our success in defending our nation is all about unifying around our common mission, our common purpose. And so it is easy to ground ourselves individually and to um, ensure that we, we continue to uh, codify, explain, and address the tenets of service and mission mission commitment. And uh, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. I can't say that I'm sad about having been able to serve because I think uh, so many times the military leads the way, not in a proud, boastful, um, public kind. Of, that's not where we are. That's not where our space is. Our space is in the humility and honor of dignified military service. So we really need to stay out of the political fray and um, remember our focus and our commitment to our oaths, whether they're um, an enlisted you know, oath of, of service or the obligation of being a commissioned military office officer. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, and I think, you know, as you're mentioning that some of those things that make the uh, the community so um, strong within the military, I think is one of the, you know, and now I've been, I've, I was I've been out longer than I was in, yeah. uh, but I still struggle with when that environment doesn't exist. Yeah. And, and I'm, and as once you go into the civilian community that a lot of that is missing 
And I know a lot of service or, or veterans uh, struggle with that because yeah. the structure is missing, the, the camaraderie is missing, those common things that bind you with other people mm-hmm. within the military. A lot of those are missing on the in the civilian world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I know a lot of us struggle uh, once we're out, yeah. and that's one of the reasons because yeah. those components are missing uh, within the within um, within the civilian communities. I always look for it, but it's hard to find. Ali, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I hear that with veterans in transition, and we sometimes see the you know lost souls in the veteran community and. Um, I think that that is an area where um, in transition from military service, uh, there's a lot of just sort of reconciliation. And so when I look at, you know, that transition from active service to um, status as a veteran who's post-service, regardless of the length of service, um, I hear exactly what you're saying. And I would tell you, you know, for anyone listening, that those of us who are who remain in an active role, um, for those of us who are veterans, that community exists and transcends and is strong um, inside and outside of military service. So there's no harm ever or hazard and veterans reaching back in to old friends who are still wearing the uniform. And there's absolutely no harm, no hazard, no, no, no barriers to those of us in active service to be available also to those veterans who have, have moved on. And as a nurse and somebody who is, you know, sort of in a, in a higher level of responsibility, that is transcendent. That will never, ever dissipate. Um, my availability to any service member who's struggling, a veteran who's out there who needs support, who needs connection, who needs direction to a resource. I think just like nurses would reach in and, and work to save a life and help people who may be struggling in some of those places, those, those places of compromised space, you know, as we navigate the hard world around us, um, we got to stick together. And so nurses should align that same way and support each other. Veterans got to do that. Active duty people got to do that. Hey, human beings need to do that. So, you know, I've always, just because I think of my upbringing, seen myself as a citizen of the globe and humanity requires us to join forces that's that White House campa- campaign that is out there, the joining joining forces campaign. You know that it's available to us for um, for veterans in the community, for support, for military, um, for service. So we've got to help avail all of the resources to prevent things that we could we just don't want to you know have to acknowledge that still continue to be a scourge for people who are struggling you know things like suicide and suicide prevention those are things we have to tackle head on in humanity because we have to care for each other in the world i appreciate that um now i want to i want to sort of do a little bit of a 180 i want to go back to your career because you had such an incredible career what do you think the secret sauce to your success has been? Because not everybody has the opportunity to be in the roles that you have been. And I know you've served overseas. You've done combat tours. Uh, you've been in multiple lead leadership roles. Um, how do you, um, was it accidental? Was it planned? I, I would say, because some people are like, I don't know how it happened. It just happened. Um, 
Did you have a plan or did you, when you were starting to, you know, if there's an instant listening to this podcast, uh, how do you, how do you think you got to where you are? Yeah. Uh, like what opportunities did you like kind of jump at and say, that's what I want to do? Yeah. That I love that question. Um, so thanks for acknowledging, um, I'm the 26th director of the Navy Nurse Corps. The Nurse Corps has been in place since 1908. The first female flag officer in the Navy was um, Admiral Duark. She was also a Navy nurse. That happened in 1972. So it is unusual to be at this rank <laughs> and in this position. So it's not common. So I'll start there. It's absolutely not common. Um, what is the secret sauce? It is an amazing um, lifetime, truly, of enriching experiences. Um, so let me kind of start with myself. I'm naturally curious. I'm naturally adventurous. Um, I've been asking why since I was born. Um, I've wanted to try things, do things. So I think I've been a person who's hardwired to uh, take on different challenges and experiences. I was raised in a family. So I would say that my, both my dad and my mom were just incredible role models growing up of um, how to be in the world. And my dad was especially prolific with really good advice, you know, about how to go after goals, how to achieve them, you know, how to go from point A to success and what are the requisite steps? And, and, and recognizing that it's hard, you're going to have setbacks, there will be failure, and you will get back up, you know, just sort of that sense of um, courageous commitment and resolve, you're not going to give up, I don't care if you fail, you're going to do it again. So just being raised in an environment that said, um, so you failed, you can't just, that doesn't mean that you just let go. It means you try harder or you recruit additional tools or you, you get smarter about something you need to, you know, read harder, study harder, do more, you know, to make yourself more competitive in, in the world and be successful next time. So I think, um, the support of family from, from birth, um, a very, very, incredibly close uh, family. I'm one of, like I said, five kids and my sisters and my brother um, are continue to be just an amazing set of role models for me, a source of inspiration for me. So I would say it really for me started within my family. And then as I grew into the world, um, it was really expanding a network and network is a term that's used and overused, but I see network as the globe, uh, the network, the network is, is unending. I mean, today, before we were talking, look how much you and I instantly had in common because you spent, you know, a decade in Naval service. And so I feel an instant connection with you. And, and there is that knowing that transcends the time that we'll spend. We'll spend an hour on the phone today. I already feel like I know so much more about you because you shared that little tidbit that is available to all of us. And so I see the network as this incredibly expansive place. 
And I want to know more about everything and everyone. I'm still inquisitive and curious. And the places where I learn best are from other people. The stories that can be shared, the experiences that I don't need to have uniquely, that I don't need to actually experience myself, but listening to another storyteller tell me, well, what was that like for you? What did it mean to you? What were the facts about that experience that made you believe what you believe right now? Mm. And that is available to all of us. So um, that's who I still am. Nothing has changed about that. And I would say that the generosity of others in sharing their gifts, in giving me the, the time the the um, qualifying experiences that made them successful. And I don't even know what that word means. It's also highly individual and highly variable. You know, I, I got some titles that are up there, but that might not even be my measure of success in the world. Very so I, I appreciate the acknowledgement, certainly the rank. It's, it's a privilege, privilege, privilege for me to um, have the honor of um, being able to lead at that level in our organization. I don't take one minute of that for granted at all. Um, and so I think other people see that as, as something even more than I do sometimes, because I'm just a girl in the world, you know, who's got um, so much more to learn and so much more to give. And so I have benefited from the rich experiences that others have generously shared with me and those that support transcends time. It transcends rank. Um, it's the ability to call somebody that you haven't talked to in 10 years and, and catch up right where you left off. Yeah. And that happens because of those investments in people, you know, that natural curiosity, that wanting to get to know somebody, meeting people where they are and going from there. And then um, generously sharing whatever I can that might benefit someone else, because that has by far been the most enriching um, thing, thing. And then the rest is timing and luck, but it's also telling people what I want. Hey, I'm really, you know, I'm, I aspire to do this and that. And the next thing um, you're there now, can you give me any good guidance and sage advice on how to get there? And then they'll share some things and I'll go, okay, I can use that, that I don't need, that won't work with me. You know, so it's really just kind of taking everything that everyone will share and then filtering it in a way that helps me navigate, you know, maybe my next steps or next aspirations. But it's a it's a posture of being, I think, uh, receptive to learning from any any place that knowledge, education, wisdom could come from, and then figuring out how to apply it, but more importantly, how to share it. I don't do anything by myself. I'm not good at everything. And I've learned what my own um, shortfalls are over time and experience and failure and um, embracing that I'm just not going to be an expert at everything. And so recognizing that other people on winning teams have the talents and the skills that I actually need for the team to be successful in the mission. So in the military, you don't do anything by yourself. 
Um, you don't go to war by yourself. You don't um, save a life by yourself. You don't do a trauma resuscitation by yourself. You don't do anything at all by yourself. And so each member of the team is relying on each individual in the team to be good at what they do, to hold themselves personally responsible for setting the standard high and setting the bar high. But the team is why the mission will be successful. And I have not ever lost sight of the fact that um, I stand on the shoulders of giants and everything that may look like my success is because of that incredible generosity of others who have poured themselves into me. I appreciate that. Um, now you mentioned something and I think the military, just because of its structure, uh, it lends itself to that mentoring process because we're always building the next um, 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 series of leaders that are going to come and, you know, lead the, the lead the military forces. Civilian world, not so much. Mm. Uh, what do you think the civilian world, uh, <laughs> the non-military world, can do better uh, to have that structure more built in? Because one of the reasons actually I started this podcast is because I was having difficulty finding individuals yeah. around me to like really talk to or finding the individuals and say, I want to be where you are. How do I do that? And having those conversations. And that's why the podcast now everybody can listen to people who are, I always say they're reserved for conferences. And if you're not going to those conferences, you may not hear them. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, so how do we, what do we, what can we learn from the military structure and how it mentors uh, it's it's forces uh, to have that succession planning really built into the system. Right. Um, I think it starts with us. And so all gratitude to you for finding this forum as a place to share um, good guidance. You know, we all need to listen to your whole um, all the seasons and episodes of your <laughs> podcast so that we get smarter. And so this is an amazing forum and you're using a modern way to do that. And so this is, this is how um, people coming behind us want to get information. And so you're doing exactly the right thing. You saw a niche, you know, area of opportunity. You saw a void and a gap in your own personal experience, and you are connecting solutions to problems. So let me express my gratitude to you um, for hosting and for inviting me and seeing me as somebody who might have something I could share. So um, thank you. First of all, let me not let me not forget to say that. But I think it starts with just that desire, the passion that you are describing. You said, hey, who's out there for me to do that? I've never been a civilian, so I don't want to purport <laughs> to know, and I don't want to pretend that I'm going to be a SME in the civilian space, but I think that it can spread. And so I think that when you take responsibility for that and you open that discussion space, wherever your network is, whether it's a small unit of practice, you know, it's maybe a, a clinical practice environment or a unit, you know, or you work in a department, if you're a novice nurse and you realize you know, I'm floundering out here. I'm just trying to get through the next hour and my tasks are all I can do, but I know there's more um, than even the most junior person can pose that question. And I think as leaders, as people responsible for the next generation, it's just inherent in our 
caring, giving, compassion, passion that we would share. And I think sometimes we can get so consumed by the tasks, the task mm. list, that we don't realize that the investment is worth the return on investment. It is time consuming. It absolutely will be the extras around the task list. But I think all nurses know that the competence of those who are coming behind us, all professionals know that the um, product of what we deliver, I mean, the product that we are responsible for is safe quality patient care. And I don't care if you're doing that in a downrange battle space where wounded Marines need your um, competency right now. Um, we also, you know, in, in military nursing, take that on to train our hospital corpsmen or the medics, you know, from the other services, because maybe they haven't had the benefit of formal education or the time, you know, as a nurse, as a Navy nurse, I think the hospital corpsmen are my responsibility. You know, they're unlicensed and most of what they learn is OJT. And I teach and tell people, if you're not taking someone, a hospital corpsman into the room with you as an advanced practice nurse, you know, as an FNP, I said, if you're not taking a, a, a hospital corpsman into the room with you to learn advanced history taking, advanced physical assessment, advanced um, diagnostic kind of differential stuff, you are, you are not being an opportunist and you need to do that because there are far many more corpsmen and they will be downrange in higher numbers than us. And they will be the person that the Marine injured in battle is, is uh, relying upon to save their life. So we must teach and train. And so it's just, it's inherent in our culture, but I think that this is really translational and you are taking an important um, step. And, you know, I, I'm open to any space where we continue that dialogue and talk about it because it's, I think formal mentoring has a place, you know, where you get a formal mentor mentee relationship, but I think that that can be sometimes a little bit artificial and forced. Mm. And I think that when we see those people who inspire us, we're going to beg time of them and we should. And when they are generous and when they, because the reason that they inspire you, the reason why you're drawn to them, the reason why they motivate you and you want to hear more is because they've captivated your interest and imagination. They're saying things that make you want to follow their lead. I mean, so ultimately leadership is, will somebody follow you? Right. It's not, it's not my list of credentials. It's will someone follow me? Well, what is that? You know, that's way beyond your list of credentials. It's, it's, it's why am I attracted to that person's style? What, it, what are they doing that resonates with me? And when we want to be that and do that and emulate that, we go, we go after that. And so when someone asks us for a little bit of time, we should give it to them with generosity. And maybe it makes us a little more tired, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, the other thing I just want to say is so many times in nursing leadership, I see nurses who um, have all the requisite credentials. Their, their list of achievements is so clear that they are competent, capable, um, and in their own 
in their own place with everything that they've done and all of the things that they've mastered and achieved, because we're go-getters. A lot of us are type A personalities. We don't stop. We don't stop learning, growing, and doing. But sometimes the environment doesn't really support um, a level of confidence that is that corresponds with that list of achievements. So, so many times um, I'm talking with nurses um, who have all of the qualifying experiences and that little thing that they're missing is confidence mm. and they should have it, but something about the universe has made them doubt themselves. They've doubted whether they're ready to aspire to the next thing, whether they should put in an application. Do you think I'm ready for, I don't even let them finish the sentence. I cut them off deliberately and I say, the answer is yes. You have to have, and I have had this, I have had outside entities look at me and say, you are ready for the next thing. And if somebody didn't look me in the eye and tell me that I would have had self-doubt that would have inhibited me. We can be that forceful backup, that confidence boost, that builder of um, esteem, of resolve, um, and we can champion that person with letters of recommendation, with additional time, with interview prep, with any number of tools and gifts and resources and connections. If we know somebody, if maybe we're not the person to help them, but mm. we know who could, then we make that connection. And so I just think that those, just off the top of my head, those are some of the ways that I think that this ability and this opportunity is available and we can absolutely transcend, transcend that um, across different, different places. I have an IOU to a nurse I worked with when I was a lieutenant commander. So that's a couple of ranks ago. And um, he has asked me, he's a civilian now, he retired from the Navy. And he asked me if I would spend some time to some brand new nurses that have been recently hired in his civilian organization. So I need to commit to that and say yes to that because it's exactly what you and I are talking about right now. That's fantastic. So you just I have love, them listen I to the podcast. <laughs> I love that question. But let's help each other by saying you can, you're strong enough, you've got what it takes. All you needed, it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. All you were missing was a little dose of courage. And so um, my career has shown me that I'm stronger than I knew. And the uh, requirements for me to lead in tough, tough conditions in compromised spaces without all required resources has made me know that I can do more than I ever knew possible. And um, I do that with the love and support of that uh, community and network around me. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, and you, you know, you, you hit, you hit, you hit the topic uh, on several things that um, networking and putting yourself out there and mm -hmm. having the courage to take that next step. I always tell people, like I had, a, I had one of my former students email me and said, do you think I should, you know? Uh, and I said, yes, absolutely. And then they were like, what if they, they say no? I'm like, And they do. That, then they do. And you're exactly where you are now. I mean, but can you imagine the regret if you never tried? Oh, exactly. I exactly. share with people my failures. 
there are many jobs I have interviewed for that I didn't get. Mm. And what I do after that is I solicit from the panel or the lead interviewer, if they're open to it, I ask them for feedback afterwards. You know, um, what is it that I might do to strengthen my, I don't ask them, why didn't I get it? Why did someone else get picked? I don't do that. That's waste. Somebody else got it. I'm moving on. What I do try and get from that experience is how can I make my own um, opportunities better then? You know, right. what what areas might I need to work on developing? Was it my was it my credentials? Was it my you know CV or resume? Was it my interview style? Was there a particular question that I bombed? You know, is there something that you can give to me? And most people are generous with their time and they will share feedback with you, even if you have not achieved a goal. Sometimes the most important things that have happened to me in my career are fa- are failures. They've given Absolutely. me a place to get better. Right. Right. If you win, 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 and you never, ever fail, um, you, you really don't know that it's possible to. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. I, I've had my share. I've had, yeah. <laughs> had my share. We all have, if we're honest with ourselves, right. but it's what do we do with it? Right. You know, what do we do when we have failed and failure again, you know, the word is harsh. We don't want to feel like we failed. What do we do when we haven't met a goal? You know, right. maybe that's even another way to say it. I had a goal. I didn't achieve it. What do I do? You know, maybe I got to go lick my wounds and feel bad, but maybe that should last an hour. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it should, maybe, you know, maybe I'm disappointed. I'm going to acknowledge the emotion that goes along with that. Now what? So it's a matter of that resilience of, you know, okay, I got knocked down, but I'm going to get back up again. And so how do I, how do I do that? How do I recover from that moment? I feel bad in the moment, but what can I learn from that experience that'll make me better next time? Or maybe it was meant to be. And the next best opportunity is just around the next door. So you never know. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. I wish we had more time. I do want to give you a, a, a you know a last thoughts and plug for the for the Navy Nurse Corps. Um, well, thank you. If you'd like, thank you. And I'll I'll uh, expand. You know, I absolutely love my loyalties are are certainly in in the Navy. But I will tell you, um, one of the uh, lecture themes that I've kind of um, centered around most recently is is the theme and it's a topic and it's been the title of a brief I gave recently at a at a national forum is that service is enough and what i'm saying by that is that and i think this transcends both military as well as nursing service is enough many of the things that we do in service haven't quite found their way to be fully Um, compensated and recognized in a space that is about money. And so financial reward, people have to pay their bills. People absolutely have to be able to afford the things that enable them to work, food, childcare, transportation, healthcare for themselves. 
um, school, you know, and stuff like that for their kids and their children and stuff like that. If you can't afford the basics, I mean, let's just go back to Maslow's hierarchy. If you're, if you're struggling with shelter and food and basic health services, clean water, you know, all those kinds of things, you can't actually work. I mean, you're going to just be desperately scrambling to make ends meet. And so we've got a, we've got some compromise out there, but when I think about the actual rewards of life, I think most of us in service, whether it's in nursing care, in our profession, in our chosen profession, or in military service, there comes that moment when you recognize it's not about a paycheck. It's not about the incentive maybe that got me here, the promise of advanced education. You know, okay, I got to pay back some years of whatever. At some point, there is a pivot and there is an understanding that what I get when I give is so much more um, satisfying and it is a source of happiness, both personally and professionally. And I think most people are in pursuit of happiness. I mean, that's one of our inalienable rights as American citizens, that pursuit of happiness. There's not an entitlement to happiness, but we have the pursuit of happiness as our at our disposal. And I think when I study happiness and I study, you know, what makes people thrive in the universe, it really comes down to what will I share generally, generously, because it comes back tenfold. And to me, um, the rewards of service far and away exceed the um, the demands and the challenges of it. And um, when I talk about that in the military, we need to capitalize on that and speak about it much more, especially as we're orienting generations far different from my own who are motivated in, in different ways and in a universe that is so different from the one that I grew up in. The digital natives, the people whose information, all of it is available at their fingertips. Any question can be answered by Siri. And now AI entering the world. <laughs> um, but the real universe is the connections between people. And so you know, inspiring people to go find those authentic connections and understanding that service is the foundation of, um, of joy, the foundation of happiness, and it works in our personal lives, it works in our professional lives, and um, we, should, we should work together to, to put a spotlight on the value of service. And be compensated adequately for it so that people understand that it is a viable opportunity and an option. So it all works together, but service is enough. And so I would strongly encourage anybody with a bent toward um, military service and, and towards um, defending our nation, our nation's interests as citizens, we should plan to give something. And it doesn't have to be in uniform. It can be voluntary. It could be other places, the Peace Corps, you know, all those other opportunities that we might see ourselves as citizens 
of um, a greater a greater responsibility, and we should put in if we expect to get back. And so I'll just leave it there and um, say with so much gratitude, Ollie, thank you for inviting me to participate in your RN Mentor podcast. I believe it's exactly what its title professes to be. So thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Uh, uh, and again, I appreciate uh, your time. And and I know uh, it took us a while to get you here, but we got you here. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long shot, but I'm glad I'm glad uh, I, I reached out and asked. Your persistence paid off, but I suspect that I've enjoyed it more than even you have. So thank you, Ali. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, we have been listening to Rear Admiral Cynthia Keener, and she is the 26th Director of the Navy Nurse Corps and currently serves as Commander Naval Medical Forces Support Command at Joint Base San Antonio Fort Sam Houston, Texas. Uh, Thank you, everyone, and we will see you again soon. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.